We welcome each one to our service tonight and looking to the Lord for His help and His strength as we worship together. We welcome those who are watching and listening online as well. And we're going to commence tonight by turning in our hymnal to the Psalm 1. And the Psalm 1, that man hath perfect blessedness who walketh not astray in counsel of ungodly men, nor stands in sinners' way. The Psalm 1, and we'll stand as we sing, please. may be seated. We're going to turn this evening in the Word of God to the Psalm 119, and the Psalm 119. We're going to read the second section of this psalm, uh, the section from verse 9 through to verse 16. Psalm 119 is split into 22 sections, 
Each section commences with the uh, corresponding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. That doesn't make Hebrew an easier language to learn than English because we uh, have, um, we have uh, more letters. It is a little more difficult to what we are used to. Uh, but they only have 22 letters, but each section is, uh, it commences with uh, a particular letter. And we have then the Hebrew alphabet in order. Uh, we have Aleph and then Beth being the second letter. And we come to that section here, verse 9. And the Word of God says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies, as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts, and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word this evening. And how can a young man cleanse his way, or a young woman cleanse their way, by taking heed thereto according to thy word? To listen to the word of God, to obey it, uh, to take heed to it. Let us unite together in prayer and thank the Lord this evening. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, thee that as we come to worship thee this evening, that our attention is upon the book of Psalms. We thank thee for Psalm 1 that reminds us of the man who is blessed, the man who lives according to thy word, lives according to thy ways and thy precepts. We thank, Father, of the psalm that we've read together that reminds us about the importance of hiding thy word within our hearts that we might not sin against thee. And, Father, tonight we look to thee. We pray that we would indeed, by thy grace, hide thy word within our hearts, that we would not sin against thee, that we would not turn into the wicked way. And as thy people, Father, we pray that thy word would be treasured by us, that we would rejoice that we have the great privilege of coming together to read thy word and to study thy word. And Lord, have that privilege of hiding thy word within our hearts. Father, may thy spirit come and apply thy, heart, thy word to our hearts, that we would indeed know what it is to hide it within our heart, to live for it, to practice it within our lives, and to the glory of thy precious name. And Father, tonight we look to thee that thou would bless the preaching of thy word. As we consider thy word, as we consider the glorious gospel, we need thee, and we need thy help. We consider this morning, and we mentioned that verse in the epistle to the Corinthians, regarding our sufficiency, who is sufficient for these things. And we realize, O God, that Thou art our sufficiency. And we pray tonight that as we turn to Thy Word afresh, as we look for another message from Thee, a message to our hearts, 
a message to those who are outside of the kingdom of God. Uh, we pray uh, that we would rejoice that our sufficiency is of Thee, that we are resting upon Thee, and that Thou art here, and that to bless us. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our disobedience unto Thee. Forgive us from walking down a path that is filled with the pleasures of sin, with the love of the flesh. We pray, O God, that we would flee from these things by Thy grace, and that we would mortify the deeds of the flesh, that we would live for Thee, and our words and our actions and our thoughts would be centered on bringing glory to our God and to our Savior. We pray that would move in our midst, convict of sin, draw sinners unto the Savior, we pray. We do remember our sister congregations, remember the work of God here in our denomination in Canada. My Lord, bless, we pray. We think of our vacant congregations in Calgary and in Port Hope. Remember the mission church there in Williams Lake as well, and the work in Arizona. Lord, bless, we pray. Call men, men of God, to take up this work. Burden men, we pray. And may uh, there be rejoicing uh, that Thou art moving and that Thou art calling men into Thy service. We need preachers. And Lord, this land needs preachers, preachers who are unashamed of the gospel of Christ. And we look to Thee, uh, that Thou would bless us tonight, bless our worship, bless our time of fellowship afterwards. Help us to sing Thy praises and to glorify Thy name. Uh, we ask and we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn again in our hymnals to hymn 645. Uh, 645. Uh, someday the silver cord will break and I no more as now shall sing, but oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the King. The hymn for 600, the hymn 645, we'll stand to sing, please.
Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And we're turning tonight in the Word of God to Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 11. Luke's Gospel and the chapter 11. And often when I was in secular employment and working away, you sometimes uh, had thoughts of sermons to preach. There was maybe a preaching engagement coming up and you needed a sermon and you spent that time working, and I suppose you had half your brain on the job, and half your brain was thinking about uh, what you should preach. And of course, the heart was working there as well. It's not just all about the head. And something like that happened this week, uh, because we were sorting things out for uh, the new carpet. I believe it was on Monday. And uh, Brother Mr. Roos was said to me, uh, we were, I was standing beside the pulpit, he says, sweep it. And so I started to sweep, and as I started uh, to sweep, I began uh, to think about sweeping, and my mind was drawn to this particular passage. And so we have a sermon tonight uh, in some way about sweeping, uh, because we were sweeping uh, the dust, and maybe, uh, maybe it is a good illustration for what we'll consider tonight, uh, because after I had swept, I'm not sure if it was our brother or somebody else, they came and swept again. And we soon realized that I didn't sweep well enough, or there was stuff that needed to be swept the first time that escaped, and the second time it was caught. And so uh, there is an illustration of that uh, within our text tonight. The sweeping wasn't good enough. And so uh, that is where we're coming to this evening. And as I thought upon that, I was directed to this passage, and I believed, yes, we'll preach on this uh, this evening. And so we're going to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. We'll commence at verse 14. And it says there, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, and he, that is Christ, was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of, devil, of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him, and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his goods. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he, 
and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious and inerrant truth tonight. At this point, can we welcome each one afresh uh, to the house of God uh, this evening and trusting in the Lord's blessing upon us as we gather. Do remember that after the service tonight, we'll be having our monthly time of food and fellowship downstairs, and so do come and do join with us. And then on uh, Tuesday evening, <coughs> uh, we have the Toronto Zoom, uh, Toronto Free Presbyterian Church. They have a Zoom women's Bible study at 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. So do remember that, ladies. And if you need the details for that, uh, I believe you can uh, speak to our sister Susan uh, regarding uh, that information. On Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., we have our Bible study and prayer meeting downstairs in the prayer room and on Zoom as well. So do uh, remember that meeting and do come and pray as the Lord's people. And then on Saturday at 9 a.m., we have our women's breakfast and then the men's prayer meeting at 7.30 p.m. Next Lord's Day, the services are at the usual times. 9.30 is the Sunday school for children downstairs and for adults upstairs. And then 10.30 is our morning worship where we will be remembering the Lord's table. And then 5.30, the prayer meeting, 6 p.m., the evening service. And then on Monday, the 5th of February, we have our session and board meeting. So members of our session and board do uh, remember that. The current magazine, the magazine of our denomination, is now available, and it is on uh, the table in the entrance hall. Uh, we also have uh, invitations to our Western Family Conference uh, that is taking place in the church in Williams Lake. It is under the oversight of our session and the oversight of uh, the church in Prince George as well. It takes place Labor Day weekend, August the 30th to September the 1st, and the Reverend John Wagner, the deputy moderator of our denomination, will be along uh, to be the preacher. And so the details are there on the table. There's free registration. Uh, you don't have to pay to attend the conference, uh, but there is uh, accommodation that is needed, and there's various uh, recommendations on the leaflet regarding accommodation. You can camp, you can use an RV, uh, you can take an Airbnb or a hotel, uh, whatever uh, would uh, suit you. You can sleep in your car or sleep under the stars. There's many options. And so we do encourage you to come, to think about coming and spending time with the Lord's people, uh, fellowshipping with us and hearing uh, the Word of God uh, preached. Uh, we also mentioned this morning about baptism, and if there are uh, those within the congregation whom the Lord is challenging about, or about being baptized, considering baptism, uh, then uh, do uh, speak to me, and we are uh, going uh, to be considering in the future the possibility of a baptismal service. And so if you are interested, make your name known to me, and uh, we can take uh, that matter further. These are all the announcements and the subject to the will of God. We're going to turn in our hymnals, the hymn number 23, Immortal, Invisible, God, Only Wise. We'll remain seated while our tithes for the Lord's work are received, please.
Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us, Lord, uh, with so much in this country. We thank you, dear God, for faithfully providing for all our needs and the needs of the church. I pray, Father, that you bless these tithes and these offerings, that it will be used for thy name's sake and for thy kingdom's sake. Bless now our preacher, our pastor. Help him, Lord, to preach with boldness and help us to listen well. And may the Holy Spirit lead and guide us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll stand to sing hymn 23. We'll sing verse 3, standing to sing, please. be seated. We're turning again in Luke's Gospel to chapter 11, the 11th chapter of Luke's Gospel, and we'll read again from verse 24. And the Word of God says, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he and that is the unclean spirit, walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious word tonight. Let us unite together in prayer and let's seek the Lord. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you we can come to thee tonight for help as we come to the preaching of thy word. We rejoice thou art a God who helps. Thou art a God who undertakes for us. And Father, we do remember those within the congregation here who are in need. Remember our brother Vern, we pray that thou would bless him in hospital. Remember our brother Colin and his family, his mother who's in hospital. And Lord, we pray for thy grace and for uh, the helping hand of the great physician. And we pray that uh, thou would indeed uh, give that help and strength. And Lord, tonight as we look to thee, uh, we pray uh, for help. Uh, we pray for thy strength. We pray, Father, uh, for the hand of the great physician as well, uh, when we think of the great spiritual need. And in these verses, the great spiritual need has come before us. And Lord, we pray that thou would minister thy word and apply it by thy spirit and glorify thy name. And uh, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. <coughs> Amen. 
The United States President, Abraham Lincoln, made a famous speech on one particular occasion, and he referred to the strife that was building uh, within the United States and that strife that led to the Civil War. And he said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half-sleeve and half-free. And that illustration of the divided house that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about here in his gospel, chapter 11, verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. And so it was used to describe a country that was torn between the ideologies of those who uh, made up that particular nation. Uh, but when we think of the words of the Savior originally, he was speaking about a greater matter, a matter about the triumph of his kingdom and the kingdom of God against the house of Satan. And throughout his earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ constantly faced undue criticism from the religious leaders in the land of Israel. Uh, the posed continuously. And here we find that in verse 14, he cast out a devil. And when the devil was gone, the dumb, the dumb man who had the devil speak, and the people wondered. But in verse 15, we find that there were some of them who said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of devils. And they proclaimed that the Lord Jesus Christ the one who is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the one who is pure and spotless, the one who has no flaw, no sin within him, they said that this devil was cast out by the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of Satan himself. And that was nothing but blasphemy of the highest degree. It denied the deity of Christ. It attacked the good work the Savior had just performed. It took the person of Christ and corrupted him and made it vile and wicked and evil. And dear congregation, this evening we need to understand that we need to value the person of Christ. We need to lift him up. We need to have that high esteem of him. I may have said this before. I certainly said this from the pulpit over the years. Uh, when I was in our theology class uh, many years ago, uh, I remember uh, the lecturer who taught us. I had uh, two lectures for theology, one for three years, one for one year, and the Reverend uh, James Beggs uh, for three years, and he had taught for many years in the Bible college, and he emphasized to us during those first three years of theology the importance of holding Christ in high esteem having a high view of the Savior. And what we have in this passage is not a high view of Christ. Saying that he has the power of the devil is blasphemy. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that the Lord will never turn from his purpose to bruise Satan under his feet and to cast him into the lake of fire. And we see something there. The purpose of the Lord is to cast Satan down, to bruise him under his feet to cast him into the lake of fire. He will not have the victory 
for Christ has the victory. And any idea that the Savior and the devil are in collaboration together, working for the same cause and the same purpose, is blasphemy. And of course, we can apply that. We can apply that to the work of God. We are not to engage in God's work alongside those who do not follow Christ, who follow Satan himself. We're not to align with the world in the purpose of serving Christ. We're not to align with the world in the purpose of reaching the lost for the kingdom of heaven. Because the work of Christ is fundamentally different and has a greater purpose and a holy purpose compared to the work of the devil. And so there were those who accused the Savior. They tempted him. They sought a sign from heaven. And he knew their thoughts. Christ knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. And he spoke about the kingdom being divided against itself, a house being divided that is falling. And he showed that their evil charge against him, casting out devils in the power of Satan, was ludicrous and illogical. Why would Satan work against himself? Why would he divide his house? It would be a bit like those who came in to install our carpet this week, and they spent time measuring and putting the carpet down, and then immediately it was down five minutes, and they start ripping it up and putting it outside to be taken away to the dump. You'd be thinking, what's going on? They're working against themselves. They're supposed to be laying the carpet, but... They're taking it up again. Now we can understand taking the old carpet up and replacing it, but taking the new carpet up and not replacing it, something is wrong. And the Savior is saying here that this is not happening. Satan would never do this. And of course, Christ himself would never do that. He would not engage in his work, but also in the work of Satan. And so... We find then in verse 20, but if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. And the Savior is saying, I cast out devils by the finger of God. He is the Son of God incarnate. He is the one who defeats the devil. We find in verse 21 through to verse 23 about the strong man. The strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace but when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divided his spoils. And the Savior is saying that strong man is like Satan. And the stronger man is the Savior. When he comes upon him, he has that victory. He that is not with me is against me. And we cannot be for Christ while being engaged in Satan or being ruled by Satan, there must be a separation. And tonight, you cannot be for Christ with a heart that is still for sin and still for Satan. And this leads us into our text, which is found in verse 24 through to verse 26. The Lord deals with the state of his enemies. They had sinned in days gone by, and... Uh, we can think of the past. Uh, many a times they had swept and the house was garnished, uh, but uh, they had not fully repented. Uh, we can think of the Jews. Uh, they had engaged captivity 
They had suffered. Their house was set in order. It was swept and garnished. But instead of Christ, they had the legalism of the Pharisees. Instead of the idolatry, they did not turn to Christ. The worldliness of the Herodian kings and their religious system. And the soul of the nation, as one man said, was now possessed by a growing hatred for Christ. And the generation was likened to that of a man who was possessed by a spirit. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through the dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And tonight I want us to consider reforming our hearts. Reforming our hearts. That's what we see here. Very simply taking a thought out of this parable. There is a need to reform our hearts. And ultimately, for those who are outside of the kingdom of God, for those who know not the Savior, for those who are not redeemed and have never repented, there is a great need tonight for you to reform your heart or for the Lord to work that work of reformation within you. Dear believer, there is a need for us always to reform our hearts as well, lest we fall into sin. And I want you to see, first of all, that reformation of the heart is necessary. Reformation of the heart is necessary. In verse 24, we find that unclean spirit. He goes out of a man. He walks through the dry places. He seeks rest. He finds none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. It was better there. He enjoyed that. And so the verse teaches that this man's original state of original state was of possession by the spirit, a spirit that is unclean morally, a spirit that led him into sin, a spirit that is impure. And when we think of this particular individual, he sinned against God. There was wickedness within him and infidelity because of this unclean spirit. And it reminds us of the original state of man. An original state that we find filled with sin and corruption and wickedness and rebellion against the God of heaven. Paul speaks in Ephesians chapter 2 and he tells those in this church where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the earth, the spirit and thou worketh in the children of disobedience. And he's saying, you were the spirit. You followed the devil. You lived in sin. Before you met the Savior, before you were quickened, Paul says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. There was a wickedness within you. There was a corruption. There was this spirit that was against the kingdom of God. But yet there was this great change that took place. But God, verse 4, but he looks at their original state. There was a need for reformation because their heart was dark in sin. Their heart took them away according to the course of this world in a direction that was against God, in a direction that led to more and more sin, in a direction that ultimately would take them to lose their soul. For all eternity. The heart of man was to be the throne of God as he lived for his glory. But through sin and through the fall, man is now the servant of sin. And he belongs to Satan. And we see that 
verses 21 to 22, that strong man, that strong man. And Satan possesses sinful man. He's in control of sinful man. He directs the way in which they go. And you may say, how dare you tonight say that because I'm not a Christian, because I never turned from my sin, because I've never trusted Christ, that I follow Satan. But the Word of God tells us that this is so. Your heart belongs not to Christ if you've never trusted in Him. Your heart belongs to the devil. You cannot trust both God and Satan. It is one or the other. There cannot be a divided house. There cannot be a divided house. I want you to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, we have here a man with an unclean spirit. As we would often maybe say, the madman of Gadara, the man of the Gadarenes, as verse 1 indicates the name of this particular region. And Mark 5, verse 2, and when he was come out of the ship, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. And so the effect of sin within this man and this evil spirit, he couldn't be binded, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. He was a wild man, a man that could not be calmed down. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. We see the effects of sin and the effect of the evil spirit and the effect of Satan upon this particular man. His sin had segregated him away from society as well. Even those who are in society and living in sin we not stand this. If you had a man in the back alley of your house tonight who was crying and yelling and cutting himself with stones, what would you do? You'd call the police. That's the first reaction. Something is wrong with this man. He needs help. He's going to cause problems. He's going to cause problems for himself. And so you ask the police to come and to remove him. But yet, in this man, there is a picture. A picture of the sinner, a picture of what sin does, of the problems that sin causes. In Romans chapter 3, we are reminded of what sin does. Spurgeon said, sin bribes the judgment, it intoxicates the will, it perverts the mind. And so if you imagine a man who has had too much to drink, and that alcohol has affected his mind. And you can tell that. You can notice that. You can even smell that. But you notice through his words and through his actions and how he walks, there's something affecting his mind. And Spurgeon says, well, sin is like that. It affects every part of our being as we live against God and as we live against sin. Or live for sin. And sinner, tonight, that is your condition. One that is in order and complete rebellion toward God. If you know not Christ, 
if he is not your king, if your whole heart is not given over to him, if you never turn from sin itself, if he is not your Savior, then you do not have a divided house. You have a house that is given over to the strong man, Satan, Satan. And reformation of heart is necessary to save your soul, to forgive your sin, to redeem you, lest that sin take you to a lost eternity. Reformation, reformation of heart is a necessary thing, a necessary thing. And we find that there was reformation here in this man because the Spirit left. Then we find, secondly, the reformation by man's efforts is insufficient. Reformation by man's efforts is insufficient. Spirit came again, and when he cometh, verse 25, he findeth it swept and garnished. He findeth it swept and garnished. Here was what we could say a partial reformation or a self-reformation. What is a partial reformation or a self-reformation? It's a change of character. Well, it was a change of life, a change of how you live. We could imagine, for example, for just a moment, that you're not very keen on keeping your house tidy. And therefore, you've got clothes everywhere. And the dishes haven't been washed in weeks, and they're piling up. And you've pizza boxes on the floor. And they're piling up. And there's junk absolutely everywhere. To get to the door of your house, you have to go swimming through a pile of junk. There's a big problem. A big problem. And so, what do you do? I'm going to spend a day and I'm going to clean my house. And so, you fill bag after bag of garbage. You take it all out. You mop the floors. You clean the windows. You make the house Absolutely presentable. Maybe somebody's coming for dinner and you've decided, I need to make this place nice. And then they leave. And they go their way. And you don't worry about the dinner dishes. And the next morning, you don't worry about the breakfast dishes. And you order pizza that night. And the box is set on the floor beside the sofa. And the next night, there's another pizza box. And soon, you're back to square one. What happened? That cleaning that you did that sweat that came off your brow as you tried to clean that house, it was partial. It was just for a moment. It was a temporary thing. And this is what we're talking about. There was a temporary reformation here. And spiritually speaking, you can change your life. You can think of sin, and you can think of the Savior, and you can think of what God has done for sinners, and you think, I don't want to live in sin. And I want to live a nice life. And I want to know God's blessing. And I don't want to be looked down upon as a sinner within society. And so you begin to clean. And you clean your life. And you think, well, there's places I go to. Those places are sinful. There's words I say and those words are sinful. There's actions that I do and those actions are sinful. And I'm going to stop these things. And so you take care. You think before you speak. And you decide, well, I'm not going with my friends to this place of sin. And I'm not going to put things on uh, that are sinful. And I'm going to go to church more often and attend more regularly. But yet at the heart of it, 
there is no Savior. It is yourself trying to reform your life, thinking by these works that all is okay with your soul. And this is what we see happening here. The house was swept. It was cleaned. It was garnished. It looked good. And what did the Spirit do? He went and he found seven other spirits, much worse than himself, and they came and dwelt there. And very soon this house, the state of this man, was worse than it had ever been before. The partial reformation. It was nothing. It was nothing. The spirit left of his own free will, he willingly returned. That spirit had not been removed by the power of Christ, as many examples in the gospel. The spiritual state of this individual remained the same despite the attempt to change the ways. A sinner that is redeemed may not truly change his ways overnight. It might take a little time. There may be sins that you don't know are sins, and there might be sins you will grapple with over the years and eventually have victory over them. But there's a genuine change because there's a genuine Savior within your heart and the Spirit of God working. We can think of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, and there we find a man had come to a feast prepared by the king, but he didn't accept the king's provision. He came the way he was. He didn't put on the king's garment. He came his own way, believing that he was acceptable. And there are many within society who live that way. They engage in things that are good and wholesome and in works of charity, being enough to earn the merit with God, but it will never save. will never save. God's way and God's preparation must be accepted. The book of Isaiah tells us that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Matthew Poole, the Puritan commentator, said that all other reformation proves but a sweeping and a garnishing while the soul is empty of Christ. It may be swept and garnished, but it will not keep out the devil. Just a mere sweeping and tidying and cleaning will not keep out the devil. There needed to be a full deliverance. A full deliverance. The Spirit returned to this house. Notice what he says in verse 24. He didn't find rest anywhere else. He says, I will return unto my house. My house. Not the house. Not the place where he used to be, but my house. My house. And this house, this individual was still claimed by the evil spirit. It had been swept, it had been garnished, but it did not change the spiritual state. It was still, still the house of the evil spirit. Partial reformation is not enough. And if you partially reform your ways, your life, your heart is not the home of Christ. It is still the home of Satan. To be the home of Christ, he needs to come. He needs to move within that heart. He needs to cast out the devil. He needs to make that new heart. And this man did not belong to the Lord. There may have been visible signs of a reformed life, but ultimately his heart was unoccupied by the Lord. By the Lord. And when our hearts are occupied by the Lord, 
There's a great change. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 tells us what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not. Ye are not your own. And Paul is reminding the believers here in 1 Corinthians 6, your body is the temple of the Spirit. If you're saved, Christ lives. His Spirit lives within you. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if this man was a true believer in Luke 11, his heart would have been occupied by the Spirit of the Lord. And so when that evil spirit came, there was no entry. No entry. But the Spirit found a life that had not been changed. That had been partially reformed. Maybe he was not engaging in things he had once done, but his spiritual state had not changed. He was not the temple of the Lord. And when our bodies are the temple of the Lord, there's a change within. And that change within affects us outwardly. It's not a partial reformation. It's a complete change. And dear believer, we're not to live for this world. We're to live for our Savior. We're not to live as if there are spirits, evil, unclean spirits within us. We're to live because the Spirit of God is sitting upon the throne of our hearts, ruling us and guiding us in the ways of the Lord. We are to remember that. And when we examine ourselves and we look at our lives, the Spirit of God is living within us. Our bodies are temples of the Spirit of God. And we're to live accordingly. We're to live accordingly. We're to flee sin. We're not to desire sin. We're to be far from it. Far from it. Oh, tonight, are you partially reformed? Living a life that looks good on the surface, but inwardly there's nothing of Christ. Oh, that you would turn to Him. Dear believer, are you reformed inwardly? Changed by Christ, but yet outwardly there are things that need to be changed. Sins that need to be dealt with. Attitudes that need to be cast aside for a godly attitude. We considered something of a godly attitude this morning. And yes, in the context of 1 Timothy 3 and the elder, but as we say and we keep trying to hammer home that truth, those qualifications are for us all. Basic Christian living. And when we looked at those things this morning, were we thinking, well, there's things that we can improve on? There's attitudes that, well, they need to be changed. And we can't do that without the Spirit of God living within us. If He is truly within us, then let us reform our lives truly by His power, permanently by His grace, that we would live for Him, that we would not live as though there was an unclean spirit within us. And then finally, I want you to see reformation by Christ's power is sufficient. Reformation by Christ's power is sufficient. The Savior's whole scope here is to show his hearers that by rejecting him, they were in a far worse position. By turning around and living in sin and living in rebellion, they were in a worse position. And how true that is. If you live in sin tonight... No matter how well you try to reform your life, if you do not repent and believe the gospel and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, Christ is teaching here that there is a worse position. 
The house is partially reformed. You may not be a bad person. You may live a good life in many ways, but it is not enough. Because he says that the last state of that man is worse than the first. There's no Christ. There's no Savior to guard, to protect, to live for, to change your life. And the Savior is the only one who can defeat the works of the devil. 1 John 3.8 reminds us of that. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. <coughs> the purpose that Christ came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. Isaac Watts penned this hymn, What mortal power from things unclean can pure productions bring? Who can command a vital stream from an infected spring? Yet mighty God, thy wondrous love, can make our nature clean, while Christ and grace prevail above the tempter, death, and sin. The second Adam shall restore the ruins of the first. Hosanna to the sovereign power that new creates our dust. And the emphasis is that Christ is the true Savior. If you desire to be truly reformed, then you need the Savior to clean your life, to clear away the dross, the dirt, the sin, to make you a new creature in Him. All your brushing, all your sweeping is not sufficient. But like myself on Monday, all that sweeping, working around, working down here, bringing everything forward off the top of the platform and doing the steps and going to the bottom and taking it up and throwing it away only to find that there was much that was missed. Much that was missed. How true that is, you can try to reform your life, but you'll miss. You'll miss the mark. It is not enough. It is not enough. And the purpose of this is for you to understand, not to understand that never ask the pastor to sweep something. That's not the point. But the purpose is, the purpose is that sweeping your life, that partial reformation by yourself in your own strength without Christ is not enough. You must bow the knee. You must repent. You must believe in Him. He is the one who can save, and reformation by His power is enough. We see that in verse 22. But when a stronger than He shall come upon Him and overcome Him, He taketh from Him all His armor wherein He trusted, and divideth His spoils. And so the strong man, he looks strong, he looks able, but yet the one who is stronger comes. The Savior comes, and He defeats Satan. The Savior comes and the evil, unclean spirit can do nothing. He is the one who is the stronger man. And tonight, do you believe in the reality of the gospel? Do you believe that this is true, that Christ is the one who can change your life? Maybe there are sins you're struggling with and wondering, how can I ever be a Christian? How can I ever love the Lord and be saved because of this sin within my life? He is the stronger man who can deal with that sin who can change your life. If we turn back 
to verse 14. What happened here? There was a man who was dumb. There was a devil that had to be cast out. And what does the Word of God say? And He was casting out a devil. And so the Savior was engaging in the work of casting out a devil. And what happened? That was successful. Because it came to pass when the devil was gone out. Christ's work here of casting out the devil is a successful work. And therefore the work of the stronger man of Christ is a successful work. And the work of Christ cleansing your heart and reforming you and changing your life is a successful work. And there was the evidence of it here. He cast out the devil and the miracles of Christ point to aspects of salvation and how he works. He healed the, man, the one who was blind. He gave life again to the dead. Opening the eyes. Giving life when there was death. Casting out the devil. Saving, redeeming. All these things point to his sufficiency as the Savior of sinners. And point to his sufficiency tonight as your Savior and as your Redeemer. And dear believer, let us remind ourselves of that as well. The Savior who has redeemed us and saved us, it is a true saving. It is a true sweeping of the house. It is a true reformation. And we are to live accordingly. And we're to rejoice in what God has done. The work of the Spirit transforms, transforms. We're to be filled with Christ. We're to be filled with His Spirit, living for Him, living for Him. We're either against Christ, either against Christ, or we are for Christ. The house cannot be divided. You may in some way desire a partial reformation, desire Christ, but yet you cling to your sin. And like what Abraham Lincoln said, there's a house divided. It can't continue. He said, I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing, he said, or all the other. And how true that is. Now you may say, well, Christ is attractive, and the Christian life is attractive, but you're clinging to your sin. And one day that will change, and one day that has to change. Because it is either all for Christ, or it's all for sin, and all for damnation, and all for hell. It is one or another, a house that is divided cannot stand. May you think of that tonight. May you consider your ways. May we as the people of God live for Christ. That we not live a life that would speak of unclean spirits and speak of sin. But live a life that shows that it has been truly swept and garnished by the Son of God. May the Lord bless His word for His name's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in closing to the hymn number 188.
Uh, the hymn 188. Sorry, 181. 181. Sing we the King who is... Sorry? 100 and, 131. 131. I got the wrong hymn, then I got the wrong hymn, and now we have the right hymn. Blessed be the fountain, 131. Blessed be the fountain of blood to a world of sinners revealed. 131 will stand. Sing, please.
Let us pray. Eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word to our hearts. We pray that Thou would bless it to us, that Thou would teach us and instruct us in Thy ways. And we pray, Father, that we would not rest in a partial reformation, but we would rest, Lord, in the reformation that comes from Christ, and that true sweeping, and that true cleaning, and that complete garnishing of our hearts. And Father, we pray tonight that Thou would draw sinners unto Thyself, that Thou would remind us as Thy dear people to live as those who are redeemed by the Savior. We do pray that Thou would bless our fellowship. We ask Thee that Thou would accept our thanks for the food and refreshments. Bless them to us. Glorify Thy name through our conversation, we pray. And may the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us both now and forevermore. Amen.